Our Old Testament scripture reading is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. And then our New Testament reading will be Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over, to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God is in your midst, is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him and saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's return to Deuteronomy chapter 6 that we read right just a few moments ago. We have been in a study in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, 
since last spring. One of something that we've learned from Revelation, from the book of Revelation, is that through this book, we more clearly understand, we can see more clearly what is happening in the world around us, current events. There's one question that I have been asked more than any other question for three years. There's not another question close to it. Some of you have asked me. This week I was talking to my sister Pat and she asked me, John, what's happening in our country? What's happened to our culture? Perhaps that's the question you have asked. I know because you've talked with me about it. What's happening? One thing that is happening that cannot be denied is that we are seeing the deconstruction of the Judeo-Christian view of the family, a complete destruction of that. And because of that, we're seeing the deconstruction of a civilization right before our eyes. I couldn't have said that. I wouldn't have said that three decades ago, but it's so very clear today. And this morning we will look at a passage of scripture written 3,000 years ago that speaks powerfully to where we are today, to our country, to East Memphis, to our fairy families. That's what we're about. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter six, but before we do, we're going to pray and ask his blessing and that he'll teach us. Let's pray together. Our father, once more, we come to this point of opening your word and knowing that we will not, we will not hear it unless you speak. We won't hear it. There's no one that stands behind this desk who can preach or teach in such a way that changes hearts. That's your work. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what happens when you speak. So we pray once more again this morning, what we pray every Sunday, that in these next few minutes, we will hear your voice in our hearts and that you will change us. For some of us, it will be a continuing change. For others, it might be changed for the first time. And oh, Father, we pray when we leave here in a few minutes that we will know that you have spoken. Our Father, before that, however, we bow before you as your priests. Jesus told us that we should all be priests, praying for the world around us, praying for our families, praying for our neighbors, bringing our brothers and sisters in Christ before you, bringing our city before you in prayer. And Father, we pray that you would teach us to be better priests, 
Father, teach me to be a better priest. To pray, to come bringing not just family, but neighbors and friends into the city and the state before you. We pray this morning, Father, for our dear friends John and Kaki Cruz. Thank you for the strength that you've given John and how you sustained him. And we pray, Father, that you would continue to bring strength to him and Kaki. Bless Kate Morrison, Father. Bring healing to her. Bring healing to her. But we pray most of all that you would give her such confidence. Give her a vision, Father, of Christ and what he's done. That she would remember the gospel and remember that she has a better place to go. Bless John Morrison as he cares for her. Oh, Father, I pray that she would be an encouragement to him and he would be an encouragement to her. Bless them. Speak to them as only you're able to speak. Now, Father, we prayed for Tom Clayton last week. We pray that you would bring him health, and we thank you that he's here this morning. We pray that, Father, you would strengthen him body and soul, that you would give him many years yet. We thank you for his testimony. Thank you for Dorothy's testimony. We ask your blessing upon their home. And now we bow before you and say, teach us, Father. We're your children. We're your children asking you to tell us the story one more time. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Who, who will teach the children? All of us feel the pressure that society is putting on the existence of the traditional and biblical view of the family, mothers and fathers in dual income families must both work in order to pay the bills. Couples, we see couples caught in the race to success syndrome. There's cell phones, airplane travel, business trips, computers, Twitter, Instagram, these time-saving devices do really not send us home any earlier to our families, do, do they? They simply push us to do more, to be involved in more. The family feels the pressure of government, TV, Hollywood, and schools redefining the family, redefining what the family is and attacking the values that have been basic to families in our world for 2,000 years. Families feel the pressure of five hours a day of the culture of television and social, me social media. Families feel the pressure of Hollywood's constant barrage of propaganda as it seeks to set its agenda and sells its world and life view. Families feel the pressure of drugs. Many families sitting here this morning, you know that pressure, what drugs have done in your families, in our families. 
Families feel the pressure of sexually active teens. Families feel the pressure of adultery and casual sexual relationships becoming morally acceptable and more than that, morally expected. Families feel the pressure of undisciplined children. Children wanting autonomy without responsibility. Can the family survive? Can your family, my family, can our families survive in our relativistic, hedonistic, materialistic society? In the mad rush to live without restraint, in the mad rush to please our appetites and to obtain as much stuff as we can get, can the family survive? Well, you know what? That's not the right question. It's not the right question at all. Sometimes knowing the right answers is important. Sometimes knowing the right questions to ask is even more important. We've been wringing our hands recently. All of us have. How can the family survive in this culture? That's the wrong question, folks. What's the right question? We'll see in a few minutes. But first, I want us to look at the scripture this morning, understand the background of it, and see three conclusions. First is this. God designed the family and its elements. We go back to Genesis, the background of Deuteronomy 6 is Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then in Genesis 2, 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become, this is awesome, they shall become one flesh. Man by himself is not what God had in mind for the family. It's not good that the man should be alone. In Genesis 1.28, God expanded the family when he commanded the husband and wife to do what? Be fruitful. Multiply. Thus he expanded the definition of the family to also include children, a husband and wife, a family. And where God grants children become a part of that family. On June 26, 2015, the United States Supreme Court struck down all state bans on same-sex marriage, legalized same-sex marriage in all 50 states, and required states to honor out-of-state same-sex marriage license. To oppose same-sex marriage today is you'll be accused no matter how much you care 
for everyone. You'll be accused of using hate language. Our culture, and this is just not in this area, it's in just across the board. Our culture looks at what God calls evil and says it's good. Now, this is not new. In Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, you read it. Isaiah said to the culture of his day, a message from God. He said, this is what God said. You are calling evil. What is evil? You're calling it good. You've turned the world upside down. And you're calling the good evil. That's the mindset of our culture. We can't get around it. God defined the family and said the relationships being set forth as families by our society. God defined the family and said the, and said the relationships being set forth as families by our society. What our culture is doing. He says it's sinful. And we are saying, God, you are a narrow-minded bigot to call this evil. Folks, we're going to discover before the history of this nation is complete, we will discover that God's law, no matter how great man thinks he is, that God's law cannot be supplanted by man's decrees. You know the verse, God's, God is not mocked. What you sow, what a culture sows, you shall reap. In the family, God designed men. God discriminated against us, guys. We're not physically, functionally, or emotionally like women. In the family, God designed women. He's discriminated. They are not physically, functionally, mentally, or emotionally like men. And I know you women are saying, thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's not a biased, primitive statement. It's a biblical statement. It's a modern scientific statement that has been echoed by the most advanced medical studies right up to this very hour. We would all agree that ERA, Equal Rights Amendment, was a good thing. Men and women are equal. But the radical feminist movement made a very serious mistake because they then said equality is synonymous with sameness. Men and women are equal, ergo, they're the same. That's not sound logic. We are equal, but we're not the same. Men, as I said, we've been discriminated against. Men cannot have babies. God has not allowed men to participate in creation like a woman does. It's incredible. Incredible. How he designed the woman 
to take part in creation, nurturing life in a very intimate way. A mother of a, of a newborn has a relationship with that baby that, I'm sorry. I mean, I remember when Jill was born and I, I was just flabbergasted. I was just, I couldn't believe something so beautiful and wonderful had happened that God had made. But when I saw Janet with Jill, they had something. It was because she, the child had been nurtured inside of her. She was a mother. We're not the same. Ladies, he discriminated against you. No woman will ever play linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. Jerry Jones would love to find one. Think of the money Dallas would make. Not even the Russian women can do that. It, it's, that's not a biblical, it's not only a biblical statement. The geneticist and medical community tell us that the muscular and bone structure of a man is stronger than that of a woman of the same size. It's, that's just truth. That difference is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Terry brings something to my life and our home that's impossible for me to bring. She brings a heart, a sensitivity that I don't have. I bring something to our home that's impossible for her to bring. He, God did not mean for men and women to be clones he made us to be different, to complement each other. Think about it this way. We celebrate that difference in the bedroom. We fit together. We take it out of the bedroom. Take it to the boardroom. Take it to the kitchen. Take it to every other part of our lives. I don't care if you're grocery shopping. Whatever it is. Men, your wife brings something to that that you don't bring. And I bring, and, and you bring something that she doesn't bring. And it's a good thing. God designed the elements of the home. No surgeon, general, president, senator, congressman, judge, governor, or legislature can change the truth of his design. I once knew a blacksmith. Had an old blacksmith shop. And you know, in that blacksmith shop, you would look over in a corner and you would see hammers, old hammers. They'd been worn out. You see, the blacksmith would take this white, hot piece of metal. And he would put it on a handle, on an anvil. And he would hammer it with that hammer and shape it. You know, you would think that that anvil would get worn out. But in that blacksmith shop, I never saw an old anvil. There was only one anvil. All the hammers got worn out hitting the anvil. Folks, God's words... God's word and decrees are the anvil. Cultural media and government may hammer away at God's definition of the family, but long after they're gone, 
The anvil will still be there and the hammers will be worn out. Hollywood may pound nightly against God's definition, but the anvil of God's truth will remain unchanged. You'll be destroyed by its own blows against the anvil. So we look at this and we say, God designed the family and its elements. Secondly, we see God designed the parent-child relationship for specific purposes. Look at verses 7 through 9 of Deuteronomy 6. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on the gates. Do you see it? Look at the intensity with which this command to teach is given. Teach them diligently to your children. Diligently. Talk to them. Talk to them. Well, what are you supposed to say to them? Look at verse 6. The words I command you this day, the word of God, that's what, what God has told you to tell them. That's what you tell them. Talk about it. And look, it's diligent. He said, talk when you sit down in your house. When you walk through the neighborhood. When you lie down, the last thing at night. When you get up in the morning, the first thing in the morning. In other words, this teaching of God's word is constant. And it's organic. It just takes place naturally as you live out your life before your children, teaching them with what you say and what you do. He says not only have these as talk about it just constantly through the day, whether you're in the house or whether you're outside the house. He says, stamp it on your hands. He said, put it as a frontlet before your eyes and before their eyes. And then he said, write it on the doorposts. As a person passes by the house where it's written on the doorposts, you can say, I know what goes on in that family, in that home. Remember Joshua speaking to the people of Israel. What a powerful thing to say. Warning them about the temptations to go the way of idols. He says, you can go do this. But what do you say? As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Not just me in my house will serve the Lord. What was God telling parents there in Deuteronomy 6? Nurture and teach your children. Teach them by love. Teach them by discipline. Teach them with words. Teach them by example. You can't just say the words if your actions contradict your words. The children say you're hypocritical. But neither can you just do the actions. It would be confusing that the words and actions go together. In Scripture, what does God always tell the children? Obey your parents. Follow your parents. Honor your parents. Listen to your parents. Be faithful to the teaching of your parents. Now look at this. God did not mean for the church to be the primary teacher of our children. God did not design the school 
to be the primary teacher of our children. God did not design the government to be the primary teacher of our children. God designed a family, the parents, to be the primary teachers of their children. I mean, that's what it says. Whether I like it or not, that's what it says. God did not design the school. And we can say, yeah, our children are going to go to school, surely. We want our children to go to church and learn there. But the primary teaching is laid at the feet of parents. God did not design the school to teach a two-year-old or a six-year-old how to love. That's why God made mothers. God did not design the school to teach a 12-year-old how to have a healthy and strong self-image. That's why God made fathers. A calling. People look at this and understand it. The calling to be a husband is sacred. When we're unfaithful as men in our marriages, we're taking what God has created to be sacred and we're dragging it through the sewer. Do you understand that, men? The calling to be a wife is sacred. The calling to be a father is sacred. The calling to be a mother is sacred. It begins with God. God entrusted, this morning we saw it, God entrusted Charles, a life he created, to his parents. It's what, it's for your children. That's from whence they came, from him. He entrusted you with this treasure. There are two primary places where children will be taught the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ in the home and in the church. If it's not done in the home and in the church, I want to ask you a question this morning. If it's not done in the home and in the church, who will teach your children the Word of God? Who will teach your children about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, the Son of God? Who will teach your children about the cross and the resurrection? Name any other place in culture where they're going to be taught that in our culture. Only in the home and only in the church. God designed the family in its elements. God designed the parent-child relationship for a specific purpose. And finally, God designed the family as a foundation stone upon which the nation is built and without which no nation can survive. That's what Deuteronomy 6 says. That's what he's saying to Israel. Look with me now, beginning to read with Genesis 6, 1. Now this is the commandment, the statutes, the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land of which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and all his commandments that I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. In other words, if you don't do this, you won't survive. You'll die early. And he's not talking about an individual life. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to a nation when he says that. Here, therefore, look at verse 
3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you. What's he saying? If you don't keep this, you will perish as a nation. Look at verse 24 then that's on your scripture sheet. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always. It's for our good. This is not to oppress us. It's to enrich us. What is the foundational institution? If you were asked, okay, what's the foundational institution? We all have all these institutions. The institution of media, the institution of education, the institution of arts, the institution of government. Of all the institutions God created, all the spheres God created, which one is foundational? Which one is the cornerstone of civilization? In Genesis, with God creating the family, God was saying the family is the cornerstone. Before there was government, there was family. Before there was any other institution, there was family. It's a cornerstone of civilization. He says it there. Unless you do this, Israel, you cannot survive. What what are they to do? He says it. He tells us in verses 6 through 9. Tell the children. Teach the children. Have the word of God in your, so in your homes so that they cannot help to assimilate it. That's one reason you tell the children. Or what is the one reason you tell the children? The future of your family depends on it. It's first. The next reason, the future of your country, of your culture depends on it. National security is based upon the truth being transferred from one generation to the other. That's been the theme. Remember when we called called to worship? Remember? They're going to they're tell the children. They're going to tell the children yet unborn. That's what scripture says. And I've chosen to close the message by reading two quotes from quite outside of scripture. The first quote is from Dr. Alberta Siegel, professor emerita of psychology in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at Stanford University. Folks, you can go home and look her up, Dr. Alberta Siegel. Her credentials are impeccable, incredible scholarship. She's an expert in child development. And this is what she wrote. Now listen, when it comes to rearing children, every society is only 20 years away from being barbaric. 20 years is all we have to accomplish the task of civilizing the infants who are born into our midst each year. These savages know nothing of our language, our culture, our religion, our values, our customs, our interpersonal relations. The infant is totally ignorant about communism, fascism, democracy, civil liberties, the rights of the minority as contrasted with the prerogatives of the majority. 
They're completely ignorant of respect, decency, honesty, customs, conventions, and manners. The little barbarian must be tamed if civilization is to survive. Now, I don't know whether this lady's a Christian or not, but it sounds like she was reading directly out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. 20 years is all we have. Why is our society becoming crude, coarse, barbaric? Someone forgot to tell the children. It's happening. The next quote, if you'd have told me earlier in the week that I would close the message with a quote from Theodore Roosevelt, I would have said, you know, that's that's not going to happen. But listen to Theodore Roosevelt. I can't imagine a president saying this today. There are exceptional women. There are exceptional men who have other tasks to perform in addition to, not in substitution for, the task of motherhood and fatherhood, the task of providing for the home and of keeping it. But it is the tasks connected with the home that are the fundamental task of humanity. After all, we can get along for the time being with an inferior quality of success in other areas, business or political or any other kind. Because if there are failings in such matters, we can make them good in the next generation. But if the mother does not do her duty, there will either be no next generation or the next generation that is worse than none at all. In other words, we cannot as a nation get along at all if we haven't the right kind of home life, end quote. Remember, the first question was, who will teach the children about God and his word if we don't? No one, no one will. The second question, how can the family survive in this culture? That's the wrong question. The question is this, how can this culture survive without strong families? It won't. That's the question. We're seeing the deconstruction of the family. The family is described in Scripture. We're seeing it. It's deconstructed and our nation will not long survive that deconstruction. Out in the country, we had a saying If something was permanent, a truth that could not be denied, they'd say, the old farmer would say, you can write that on the loft. You walk in any barn and you'll see carvings from that family that they wrote on the loft, the hayloft. Sometimes it was written out in crayon or charcoal. Sometimes it was carved. Well, people, you can write this on the loft. We will not survive the deconstruction of the family. That's God's word. 
Our hymn is a hymn of great joy, a hymn of great truth. Fairest Lord Jesus, this morning, make this the confession, your personal confession. Make it the personal confession of your family and our families.